You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Alana Enquirer podcast. Jeremy Warner, Alana Enquirer publisher here with you. Hope you all are well out there right now. Hope your families are well and uh, making it through this tougher time. But uh, hopefully we're uh, trying to entertain you a little bit here on the Alana Enquirer podcast, give you something to listen to during your longer days, and also hopefully uh, fill in your Alana needs on the website, alanainquirer.com. Uh, this was a little bit different of an interview. Uh, I do a lot of interviews with uh, media people and uh, people that have Illinois backgrounds. Usually been in the business for a while, but I thought this one kind of made sense at this point. Talked with Elias Schuster. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Elias, but I hope this podcast in part helps you get familiar with Elias because I do think he's a very talented young man, an Illinois graduate, and someone that I noticed uh, when he was working at the Daily Illini. Did good work uh, and didn't and did it the right way. Uh, I thought he told some great stories. Was a multimedia journalist. Uh, was the one who caught the. Great video of Colton and the Illini basketball team down, or Illini football team, excuse me, down in Tuscola when Colton made that winning shot. So he's done some great work, and he just had an eye for for telling stories. And I just thought he went about his business the right way. Just went about telling stories and asking good questions. And you know, sometimes you see young people in this business, and not just young people, believe me, people in our business. Who do a lot for Twitter likes and retweets and hey that stuff gets uh, no that means things are getting noticed but I feel like a lot of people work just for those things uh, when it should be about telling stories should be about helping your company which is uh, obviously producing good content and I feel like Elias really does that well so I was really happy when Elias out of school was able to land a good gig. And uh, I've known the guys at Bleacher Nation. Brett Taylor's been on my radio show before. uh, And he does great work on the Cubs and and really speaks from a fan perspective. And I think that's a needed voice, whether it's Robert with uh, a line I board or, you know, certain fans. I I think it's great that you get a fan's voice involved. Carp has been one of those. And and some people don't like it, but uh, Carp is, you know, a a needed voice uh, in what we would call this vast media. Uh, and I think they do a, a good job of speaking for fans. I think it's something that maybe I can't give and uh, fills a niche for somebody. But uh, he's covered, Elias, that is, an interesting Bulls year where the Bulls have been really disappointing this year. But there's also now hope as they have made huge front office changes, which I am a huge fan of. This has such been a mom-and-pop operation for so long and such an insular organization that I think it's so great. They bring in Arturis Kronosovic to uh, run the basketball operations, and you're bringing in uh, people like Mark Eversley and, and J.J. Polk who have come from successful organizations, smart organizations, and the Bulls are now kind of tearing it down in the front office. I'm sure Jim Boylan will be next, uh, and then you can have more talent around it. But also, he's been covering uh, The Last Dance and this great documentary that is filling such a void in our sports lives. And for someone like Elias, who's, a, who's been a Bulls fan most of his life, but wasn't there, wasn't here on this earth really when Jordan was going about his business in Chicago. I was 8 to 11 years old during that second three-peat, so it was right in my wheelhouse, and I loved watching those teams. I lived and died. Uh, My emotions swung based on what that team was doing, 
But I think it's interesting how things are coming back to me. Things I didn't know when I was watching them live because it was more about the games. Uh, I'm getting to know more about the intricacies of that time because I didn't consume sports like I do now where I know things about transactions. I just watch the team, right? And you root for the team and you buy their merch and, you know, you're a big Michael Jordan fan and, and Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen. I was a huge Steve Kerr fan as well. Um, but yeah, you didn't consume it the same way. So I'm learning things, but I think this, this documentary is really going to define how people view this Bulls run, this Bulls dynasty. And for a lot of people in younger generations that have, have heard about the Michael Jordan, how great he is, I think this is real good insight into just how great he was and how great these teams were. Um, so this is going to shape the opinion of uh, a generation that didn't, wasn't able to see Michael Jordan and what they think of him. Um, I always use the example of Ric Flair. I think a lot of people base their opinion of Ric Flair based on that documentary, that 30 for 30, which did a great job. But I feel like his icon has, has risen even more so. His stardom has risen even more so since that documentary. But catch up with Elias about getting that gig, what it's been like for him, and what it's been like to cover this Bulls team, how he covers this Bulls team. We talk about the front office changes, the roster, and we dive into the last dance as well. Elias is a good young man. He's a very bright intelligent reporter as well and now he's covering a little bit from the fan side of it which i think is great uh but i really enjoyed my conversation with elias which is why it went a while almost an hour conversation with elias but i hope you enjoy him too and uh you notice him a little bit because uh he's going to be a star in this business here's elias schuster all right welcome in elias schuster illinois graduate to the illini inquirer podcast is we got a lot of bulls things we can talk about and uh that's one thing elias is that uh We've had plenty of content, man, with the Bulls, with their their off season, and of course now the Last Dance documentary. At least uh, there's some content you guys can throw out there. Yeah, I know it's it's a very unfortunate time. However, we're fortunate in this crazy. I mean, this is a tough industry. I think we all know that the sports media industry isn't the easiest, especially at a time like this. But we're fortunate to uh, that the Bulls are giving us some stuff to work with. I'm glad that they you know decided to use this time to to their advantage and. Uh, and give us some stuff to work with. With the last dance and the and the uh, the general manager stuff going on right now, and the uh, and the front office overhaul, it's it's uh, actually been uh, a nice distraction. So it's been good. Yeah. Well, Elias, you were somebody that stuck out to me when uh, you were at the Daily Line. Just some of the work you did. Um, <laughs> you did really good work for those guys. Video stuff too. Uh, tell people about your Illinois. Um, student life, what it was like, and uh, how you end up getting the gig. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, it was a, uh, it, it was. I had a great time at Illinois, but the, the way I looked at everything while I was there was like, I'm here to work. Like that was always my thing. I loved the school. I had a fun time while I was there. But like, I'd be lying to everyone if I said I was the fun, most fun person out there. I was, it wasn't like I was, uh, you know, I was going out all the time. I think my experience was it was dulled down a bit. Just, but that was my doing. That was because. Uh, I was involved in a lot of stuff, and uh, but I think that's why I love the school so much because it gave me so many different opportunities. So my work at the Daily Illini, I started as a as a video editor there um, as a freshman, and they needed people to start covering uh, football and basketball, and and uh, that's why I went video because they didn't need it anywhere else. And I was like, hey, if I could do those things for video, I'll de- definitely do it. And uh, I learned how to do some video work, uh, filmed those games, it was a lot of fun. And long story short, I slowly worked my way up the rankings at the, at the paper there, and I was a sports editor in my senior year. Um, and so I covered football and basketball all four years there, and uh, 
it was a pain. You know, I was I, I was the uh, four year class of no bowl game and no uh, and no NCAA tournament, but. Uh, you get a lot of great valuable experience and and ultimately that's what I, I get to uh, you know attribute why I got this job uh, for you know this this the job with that I have with Bleacher Nation now um, you know everything I did at Illinois set me up for this and really I just got this because uh, of the versatile versatile options that I got to do at, at Illinois so it was it was a great experience uh, I loved every second of it and uh, it helped hand me a, a job that I absolutely love. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy I went to school with, uh, Illinois football, I think won like five football games in his four years as an undergrad. Uh, that was like oh. <laughs> Three to 06, I believe it was. Um, yeah, you had you had one of those runs too. That was really unfortunate, uh, and you missed out the one year, <laughs> one year away from a bowl game and uh, an NCAA tournament quality team, right? Um, but what was that like as as undergrads? What what was sports like? Because I know you're in in it. It's different when you're covering it and you're in it all the time. But just the student yeah. life. What was Illinois athletics to your group? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was. Per, I'll look at it two ways. Looking at it, one, from just a, like, kind of fan perspective, because obviously, I mean, you're covering it. If you're someone like me who's going to school for the purpose that I was going for, you're trying to cover it uh, as least from a fan perspective as you can, which is funny because my, my job now uh, with Bleacher Nation is kind of fanning out, which is great. But this is, this is the position I had there was kind of trying to look at everything as unbiased as I could. But uh, you're still an alum, and you still you still have your opinion. So, from a fan perspective, you know it was definitely tough. It was it was it was hard, but I think you just see how devoted of a fan base and of a community there is there. And I absolutely loved every second of that. I mean, there are people there that, regardless of the situation, were just supporting that school. And I think this year people got to see that a lot. When with both teams being better, they got to see how much you know that community really loves Illinois, and also this diverse, huge. Uh, alumni network everyone has they all love illinois they come out of the woodworks when <laughs> they're doing well you kind of want to stay sheltered when everything's bad but you see how many people actually do really care about that program but the experience was was great i mean going to every sporting event um was fantastic i mean it was you know it didn't even matter and and this, this falls directly on what i just talked about with that fan base it didn't matter if it was a quiet game if it was a game against a non-conference opponent um you know, for football and basketball, it, it, every game was a lot of fun. And, you know, the, every player that was really with, with uh, both those teams were a lot of fun to get to know, a lot of fun to work with. And I just think the athletic department in general, you know, especially when, uh, with Josh, Whit- Josh Whitman coming in, they, they've done a good job. And, and you know, the, the image is really solid. And being close to that program, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So you can tell the energy has been building. I think I got to see that over those years. And uh, I'm glad I did because, while I'm not there uh, right now, it's fun to look back and and, and uh, see this season go so well and to see everybody have so have so much fun. But the foundation has been built for the past couple of years. You grew up in the Chicagoland area, right? So, like, were you an Illinois fan growing up, or is it just why did you want to come to college to to the U of I? Yeah, well, I was yeah. So I grew up in the Chicagoland area, and um, and I, I I'd be lying if I said that I was a devoted Illinois fan for, since I was younger. I know there's a lot of people that uh, I went to right. school with there that were just you know low, that loved Illinois from from when they were younger. My parents, you know, they didn't go there. It was none of that. So I didn't have that uh, com- that like super close connection. Um, honestly, randomly, I was uh, I grew into being a uh, a Florida Gators fan, but that was just because when I started watching college football, that was a great program. I was like, I love that school. I love Tim Tebow. 
So that was uh, that turned into a really random thing. But uh, what ended up happening was my uh, sister went to Illinois, so I would go there to visit her. And uh, it didn't take long for me to visit her and just kind of fall in love with that school and, and that uh, and that atmosphere. And uh, and you know, I only really applied. I applied for like five schools, and I ended up looking for places and uh, and for different, all for the same uh, journalism for for journalism degree. And uh, you know, I just I loved Illinois' program because uh, you know you're alum of the program there. It's just like this smaller. It's so nice to be in that smaller network there. Yeah. And to kind of just, you know, uh, there's other places that do have these big, you know, fancy facilities and all this stuff. And while I wish Illinois' Greg Hall was a little more updated, <laughs> I think that uh, it's fun to kind of have a small community and get to know everybody. And I was really attracted to that. And I also thought, you know, this is it's going to allow me to to find a bunch of opportunities in a really big, big 10 school Um but like kind of behind the scenes, just because the program there isn't as, you know, I wouldn't say it's a great program, but it's just not the biggest thing there or anything like that. So um, I was just attracted to big school, small network. And that was a lot of fun to to kind of grow and learn in. Yeah, I, I was a high school senior last when I was when Illinois went to the final four. So I was like, that's when I really got into them was okay, yeah. <laughs> like end of Brian Cook, end of uh, Frank Williams. My brother was going to go there. So I started getting into Illinois basketball a little bit. And of course, then it took off. So I just wanted to cover something big. Right. Like I just wanted to go to cover oh, a Big sure. Ten University. But I, I'm with you. Like I didn't become like a college sports fan because. Listen, I grew up with the 90s Bulls, and we'll get to that conversation here in a little bit. (laughs) I I grew up with the White Sox. I grew up with the Bears. And, uh, like, Northwestern football was, like, when they went to the Rose Bowl, I kind of got into them a little bit more than uh, Illinois until later on. But then, yeah, you get there, and and you're right. It is a smaller media school, and I get to go to Greg Hall every once in a while, and I just want to pop my head in there because nothing has changed. But there's like yeah, no, <laughs> there's something great about that, and, and as you were at the Daily Illini or you're in these journalism classes, you're in these classes with like the same people. So you do find like in this yeah. huge university, this small set, and whether you do it with a fraternity or you do it with whatever, you got to find your place there. And I felt like the college media just kind of found some place to belong, right? Like, and uh, I, I don't know For if you sure. get that at the the business school or some other places. Yeah, well, it was funny because, the, you know, you mentioned how you also, you know, you just didn't have that connection right away with Illinois growing up. It's not like, uh, you know, you had any parents or whatever it was that, that went there and, and you had that close tie. But uh, and so it was like the same thing for me. And it's just the funny difference for me is like there I wanted to go to a school that had these these big sports. And I was like, wow, well, Illinois even it wasn't even doing well at the time that I was <laughs> I was looking to go there. But like part of me that that actually intrigued me because one, I was hoping while I was there, they would get better. But also, you know, I just kind of was one, I was also used to uh, crappiness because I was a, a Cubs fan all my life. So, you know, I was like, eh, more mediocrity is fine. I'm used to, I'm used to loving that. So it's yeah. okay. But, um, but yeah, no, it was, it, it, that kind of drew me to it because something I, I, I used in all my uh, job interviews and my pitches uh, was it's so much harder to like learn and cover a hard sucky team than it is to cover a great one. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just, and again, maybe that that's wrong, but that was just something that I sold to a lot of people as saying, I think that could be very true because no one wants to talk about why they suck, right? (laughs) Like when you're there and you're learning this, this industry and you're covering these sports, no one necessarily, these players and everybody like that, no one really wants to talk about why they're, they're crappy, but (laughs) when they're good, it's, it's so much more fun. There's, 
you know, it might be a little more busy. It might be harder to get things, but uh, when they're crappy, it's, it's hard to find the interesting stuff. And so it actually ended up being like a, a very valuable experience. And yeah. it also set me well for uh, this current Bulls team. Mediocrity has followed me everywhere I go. <laughs> uh, below mediocrity when it comes to that. But yeah, I mean, below mediocrity. Yeah. so what were like some of the high points? Um, Cause I, I believe you were the one that shot the video of Mikey Dudek surprising Colton, right? When that, that thing kind of took off. So yeah. uh, I imagine that's a, that's a high point. Where were some of the high points of what you covered at Illinois? Cause obviously Illinois didn't give you many. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it will definitely, like you said, the, the, the Mikey Dudek uh, story was a lot of fun uh, to see him going to surprise Colton. Um, that was definitely a highlight for me just to work on that project. But, uh, you know, there are still several games that pop into my head while I was there. I loved that UNC game while I was there uh, when they played Mitch Trubisky. And, uh, and I remember, it was funny because I remember being on the field for that one night and they're, they're playing Mitch. And I'm like, this guy looks pretty good. And now look at where he is today. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that game stands out to me just because it was packed. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it, it was such a fun game to attend. Uh, Malcolm Hill's last game yeah. uh, was a lot of fun to work. That one was uh, definitely one that sticks out of my head. You know, seeing him so emotional afterwards was a lot of fun. Um, Michigan State, uh, well, just last year when they beat them was a good time. Uh, you know, so th- there's there's definitely a lot of things that, that stick out to me. And then, like, non-sport, well, technically non-sports-wise, but it's just, you know, working at the, uh, you know, at the paper was a great experience. I mean, working at the Daily Line, I was a ton of fun and you know you make a lot of friends through there and you learn a lot of stuff through there in kind of your own pace and in your own way and i think that's the best way to do it and then also i did um that btn student u program while i was there and i kind of just did i had no plans of going into anything announcing or broadcast i knew that was never the plan for me but i would just kind of do color announcing for uh for baseball and then I did a couple of basketball games and stuff like that. And I had a couple bumps in the road, but it was, I just love doing the color stuff. I mean, that was something I always found so much fun and to kind of have that video footage and things yeah. for later in life to, to have, you know, yourself giving a critique on a home run or call, you know, calling plays. That stuff was a lot of fun to do. That is such a great opportunity that big 10 network does. And I love it because right they're they're part of it should be teaching. Uh, and I think coaches yeah. should take that pretty seriously when they work at a university is, Hey, there's an opportunity to teach these kids. Um, about media, uh, you know, fans sometimes don't like it, of course. So I ask you guys are getting your reps in, right? You're not, you're not professionals. Well, exactly. It's, well, I know the fans. Yeah, I know fans don't love it. And, and it's, but again, like some of these games aren't, you know, the most. <laughs> these aren't the best games that you're watching anyway. So it's right. just, you know, kind of stick with it. Let, uh, let us learn because it's so valuable to the people that are doing it. Again, even though I'm not doing broadcasts, like. I, you know, in this position that I'm in now, I get to do interview, get to do some interview stuff. I'm doing stuff with you, and and getting that on camera stuff, uh, you know, or or just in front of a mic, uh, it, it helps you a lot. Who had a more boring nightlife in college, you or Trotter? You mean, <laughs> me or Trotter? Well, we lived together, uh, so it was just a combination of uh, of uh, boringness. Um, you know what? I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna say, or more boring. You said, yeah. I'm going to say he had a more boring nightlife, <laughs> and uh, that's only to throw him under the bus because it probably was the exact same. Because our, our nights, we'd like, oh, what random NBA game is on tonight? Oh, cool. Like, <laughs> the Mavs versus the Pelicans? Why not? Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, yeah, I would say, but I'm going to say me. I'm going to say I went out just a little bit more, a hair more. <laughs> you had to go out a little bit more in Toronto because I don't think he ever, ever goes out. Um, all yeah, right. no, because it, it still was an event when he came out. If we right. were out and he still showed up, I still felt that. Wow, he's here. So good. <laughs> Got to go nuts tonight. Trotter's out. Um, Elias okay. Schuster, our guest, uh, Bleacher Nation, uh, covering the Bulls. Okay, so you get this gig, and, and as you say, you get to be a little bit more of a fan. What, what does this gig for Bleacher Nation entail for you? Yeah, so it's basically, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a pro, like a pro blog, right? So it started off as in that blog realm, and now we're in the big leagues, I'd say. And uh, so it's just kind of a mix between, uh, a mix between, you know, sharing the the news, helping report the news, while also giving uh, some insight and some, uh, in, in mainly column form, writing a lot of columns. So. Um, you know, it, it, Brett Taylor, who's uh, the guy who started Bleacher Nation, he's started this, I don't know, like 10 years ago now. Um, great guy. It's a really close knit network. Not, it's not a bunch of us there because we're, you know, just a, uh, just a couple of us guys covering Chicago sports. And uh, But that's the thing. We're hyper-focused on it. So the job is just kind of obsessing as much as you can about one team and then building a community around it. So um, I kind of tie it to, if people know, like an SB Nation um you know, it's kind of like that. It's a somewhat of a of a mix between an SB Nation and then I don't like to compare it to necessarily Barstool, right. but um, you have the same sort of try to build that community. You know, of people that just enjoy talking about it and uh, enjoy kind of joking around and, and having fun. So, um, but I think we're definitely our own unique thing, and uh, and yeah, I mean, it's so I I started with the bull stuff. Uh, we did not have Bulls coverage yet. Yeah. That was what I was brought on to do, was to start up our Bulls stuff, uh, get people excited about it as much as I could, and also just be honest, though. You I mean, that's part of the, the gig is just be straight up about what's going on. So uh, it's definitely been tough to <laughs> build it up from from nothing during this right. during a season like this and now during a lockdown like this. But... Um, but it's been such a fun experience. And again, my stuff at Illinois has kind of prepared me well for it. Uh, but it's great. It's, it's a, it's a good time. It's uh, a gig that I didn't picture myself in right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I would have loved to do several years down the road, but where I just kind of get to write my watch, watch a game and write my opinion about it and right. have a conversation with people about it. But uh, I guess I was fortunate enough to, to land it out of the gate. Yeah, what's it like to, to be part of something, uh, and I have some experience doing this, where you kind of get to build of it what you want. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's different than traditional media, right? So what's that mm-hmm. been like uh, coming from, you know, at Illinois, where you did some creative stuff, but it was more traditional media? Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, uh, you know, and I think you can relate to this a little bit with the, with the work that you guys do. I mean, of course, you're doing a little more uh, direct reporting and all that stuff, and you're getting more inside information. But uh, you still need to find ways to make it interesting. You're still giving your opinion on things. And, uh, and in, in the work that we're doing, it's, uh, it's definitely different, but it, it still all kind of goes back to the fundamentals of what you, what you learn doing the traditional stuff. And so when they were hiring for this position, I mean, you know, they, they were looking for someone older than me to do it. And they were, and they were also looking for somebody with a kind of journalism background, with a background in in the media scape, because it still helps to have that kind of first level understanding of what is it like to work in traditional media? Because we still need to report information that way. Um, we we get it directly sometimes. We may not be getting it directly all the time, but um, most of the time we're we're sharing other people's information. But you need to know how to attribute those people correctly. You need to know how to 
um, you know, communicate with the other media in the Chicago area to um, share their information as well. And so it's different. It's, it's a lot of uh, unique challenges. And it's also, you just kind of have to learn what people like and what they don't like about the media. <laughs> so, and I think that's something you learn when working uh, in the traditional side first is you kind of learn what, what are people's problems with the way things are reported? What, what do they like about it? Um, you know, how can I get them to trust what I'm doing? Cause that's a big thing today. Mm-hmm. And even though it's opinionated stuff, how do I get them to, to, you know, hop in and see things two ways, see, you know, not, not hop in angrily, not hop in, but have an honest conversation with you. And that goes back to the traditional side as well of making sure you report both sides. And so when I do any opinion stuff I'm writing, any columns that I'm writing, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, representing both those angles. So, uh, it's different. It's way different, but there's a lot of things that I, I think you need to, to do it successfully, which again, I'm not going to label us as doing it successfully yet. There's still a lot of things that we're trying to do and try to grow, but to do it successfully, you, you need to understand uh, some of those some of those key fundamentals. Elias, when I first got into this business, we were just starting to talk about like multimedia journalists, right? Like Jean McDonald was <laughs> just starting that class. And I thank her for that because she saw that this is the way it was going and you just can't be a newspaper reporter before anymore. It's been that way. And, and you went through that in, in college. Um, but I'm just wondering from your perspective, 10 years after I got into this real business, mm-hmm. um, what's it like trying to make it in, in a sports reporting, sports journalism, <laughs> sports media industry that is really competitive. Um, um, and of course now jobs are even harder to find, but, uh, there's not that many jobs available. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lot. It, it's, I don't want to necessarily say it's harder cause I can't compare it to that, you know, you know, to that time. And I don't necessarily, and I probably wouldn't think it would be uh, harder either just because there's, I want to say there's more opportunities. Um, you know, that kind of changes all the time depending on, on what's going on, but there, there's more opportunities in video. There's more opportunities in just understanding, you know, the social media side of things. Like there, we, we don't have this for Bleach Your Nation, but um, cause we're, you know, I'm in charge of, kind of writing the bull stuff, uh, tweeting it out, using our Facebook, interacting with people, all that stuff for just for our bold content. But there are places that uh, if you look at a company like Bleacher Nation, there are, are people there that are just focused on creating graphics, just focused on creating um, social media uh, you know, content, just focused on creating social media video content. And so there's a lot of different departments that tie into this now. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it definitely helps um, – open up some job opportunities, but it still is incredibly difficult because as there's more job opportunities out there, as there's more of this creative content out there, there's also more people trying to go into the field and, or, you know, trying to go into that field from maybe another field that's somewhat similar because not everyone's going to necessarily look for just a journalism major now for those things. While I wish they would, they might look for, um, you know, more, graphic design majors or more yeah. photo majors or whatever you have it. So um, it, it's definitely kind of this balancing act to, to understand how this job market's going to work. And I think that uh, I definitely think it's extremely challenging, but you just have to, while you're at, at school, and this is the way I looked at it from the beginning and kind of what I was hinting at earlier, you just have to go in full force and say, I'm going to try everything. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's all about just getting your foot in the door somehow. And uh, once you get that foot in the door, you might not start with the one thing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I kind of lucked out and started with a job that 
I really do like and that some this is what I want to do, something that I want to do. But oftentimes you're going to go into something that might not be the exact thing, but that's all you need to to kind of start your career. But the only way you get that foot in the door is by proving that uh, you can handle multiple tasks. And that's the thing 10 years ago, um, and you can kind of speak more to that, but 10 years ago you didn't have to prove that you could do necessarily. But now you have to say, no, 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 I can do video, I can do social media, I can do, you know, I can write you a column if I need to, I can write you a a news brief if I need to. I can I can do all of those things. No, absolutely. And uh, you're right. I mean, try a lot of different things. You'll, you'll either, one, learn you really don't want to do that thing or you really like it. And maybe you wouldn't have known. Like, I, I tried, I worked, I don't know if you know this, I worked in the SID office for a year with Kent and loved those guys, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so figured out that's not what yeah. I want to do. And I was like, I want to write for the DI. I want to write for the news Gazette. And I went and found ways to do it. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's great advice is do things and, and find out whether you like it or not. Okay. You need to be willing to fail. Yeah. That's yeah. all this. You just need to be willing to, to experiment and say, and you need to be, it's okay to tell yourself, you know, okay, I don't like this yeah. or I tried this and it's not for me. Absolutely. All right, Elias, when we come back, I want to dive into the Bulls, which is an interesting topic because it's been such a disappointing season so far. We'll see if they can get back on the court. Uh, But also it's one of hope because they've made such big changes during this downtime. When we come back, we'll talk about that. We also got to get into the last dance. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so covering the bowls. Man, I, I I actually have hope now, but throughout most of this year, Elias, you're covering this team, which I think we all hoped, and I think it was not ridiculous hope that they could compete for an eight seed. And look, they're, I mean, they were, what, four or five games out, and it's pretty pathetic that they're not uh, in the playoff picture right now if the season actually was continuing. But what's this year been like before the off season hit? And I'm not even sure I can call this the off season yet, given what's going on. But um, what's this been like to cover a team that is so really unlikable? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, it's tough because, again, like we talked about earlier, I'm not the person that is. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not. I'm not right next to these uh, next to these players. But. Um, 
and, and I'm trying to relate as much as I can to both sides of it, which is, you know, reporting and, and, and uh, speaking about the team honestly, but also kind of uh, speaking, being a voice for the fans in a way. So with that said, it's, it's, challenging because you want to be angry you you want to be uh upset with the way things are you want to be able to mimic a lot of the stuff that the that these fans are feeling because honestly it is also what i'm feeling and uh and you got to be careful with that because you do have to look at things uh through a little bit of a different lens and understand that hopefully you know times will change and i think the way i looked at this season was okay if change was ever going to happen if there was ever going to be like a front office overhaul like we're seeing right now uh there's going to have to be a real real train wreck and the past couple years they've been able to ride on the on you know the back of saying this is a rebuild don't worry but being three years into it now and on the course for a record that is was going to be uh basically the same as the first season of the rebuild uh if not only a couple games better then you're finally seeing okay i think this could be the season that something finally happens. And that's kind of what I, I decided my thought process would be 10 games in. Cause they, they lost that opening game against the Hornets, which was like the only game marketing played well in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they start losing to all these easy teams that they were supposed to have such an easy schedule at the beginning. They lost to the Cavs at one point. It was just horrible. And it was like 10 games in. I basically said, okay, well, this is, you know, my, I'm going to knock on wood and hope that this is the season that, uh, that everything just kind of crashes and burns. Right. And fortunately, uh, it's a weird thing to say, but fortunately, everything has crashed and burned. And now it's time uh, it's time to kind of start anew. And uh, But that's the way you got to look at it when things are going bad. You just kind of have to have to hope that, you know, this this season or in, in this situation is finally the one that, that forces some significant change. Yeah, and, and I'll give kudos to Michael Reinsdorf, right? Like, he decided... Yeah, Paxson is still on the Bulls' payroll, but he decided to just basically clean slate this thing and, and bring in somebody from a smart franchise. And, and the names that were mentioned for the hire, I thought, uh, were great. And he ended up getting one of them in Arturis Karnaschovas. And I'm excited about what he'll bring just because it feels like, Elias, he's going to bring in a 21st century way of looking at this. And maybe it should be more like this decade of looking at it. Because I, I do think Paxson did some nice things. Foreman, I don't know if I could say as many nice things, but uh, it was just time to move on. And, and Paxson knew it. It's sad that it took Paxson to tell the Bulls and the Reinstorfs that I, I, we need to do something differently. But what excites you most about one, just having a clean slate, and two, Carnashovas? Uh, yeah, well, I first want to say I think it's so funny that John Paxson saved his uh, his job by basically admitting that he was bad at it. Yeah. I just think that that is. That is such a funny, uh, a funny situation. But um, what do I, your two questions were? What do I look? What do I look forward to with Karnashovas? What was the other one? Yeah, well, just what what excites you most about just one? It could have been anybody, and you would have been excited, right? But what mood excites you about Karnashovas especially? Yeah. Okay. So Karnashovas specifically, he was when the list kind of came out, when the first preliminary list came out. I mean. He and I kind of started reviewing all the candidates on my own. He easily moved toward the top of it. So he was the one that I, I wanted from the start. And uh, and he was also the one that uh, that uh, Adrian Wozniowski with ESPN first reported um, as the one to really keep your eye on. And I think that you had Jeff Zanuck with, uh, with uh, Utah, who was a fine choice. But uh, Karnaschow is just is the most kind of respected renowned guy in, in out of any of those names in the league and 
he also seems like someone who by this point should 100% be running his his own organization. And it was kind of surprising that it didn't. I think it speaks volumes that uh, the Nuggets organization helped him through this process. Um, you know, they, you, I guess sometimes you want to see a team fight for them to stay. But the way I look at it is, you know, they thought this guy was so good that he deserved to be running his own organization and they helped they, they helped him get there. And I think that that kind of shows you exactly the type of guy he is. So I think he's built to take this organization into a completely uh, new era to completely revamp everything because he's someone who has a, uh, has a background in, in, you know, player development and scouting. Uh, this organization has been known for having one of the smallest front offices, um, you know, in the NBA, their scouting department is incredibly weak. Uh, you know, Gar Foreman was kind of one of their main guy on the ground trying to scout players. And while they've been able to draft relatively well, um, they can't develop guys. And so I think he understands that in today's NBA, the two things you need to focus on are player development. And you also need to focus on, uh, you know, scouting the right guys because there's so much talent in the league. And so if you can wrap your head around those two areas and focus on those two, then, I think you're set up for success. And I think he's going to do exactly that because he's been with two past organizations that have been incredibly successful recently. He's been with the Rockets and then he's been with the Nuggets. And both of those are looked at as more modern front offices. So I think he, out of all their candidates that they were looking at, he understands the most what it takes Mm -hmm. to be that modern uh, NBA, you know, uh, front office. And so he's going to bring that to this team, which is something they have literally never had. They've never been with the times. (laughs) Right. Boylan's going to be gone. I'm not worried about it. Elias, are you? You should not be worried about it. Yeah. I, I I keep writing that I'm not worried uh, for a second because everything uh, everything that they've done so far um, has actually been smart, right? He came in. Uh, Karnaschovas came in. He hired two guys that seemed perfectly fine, uh, J.J. Polk and uh, Pat Conley. Uh, Polk was with the Pelicans. Um, he was doing uh, – he's, he's a cap specialist, so he's going to come in and focus on that. He'll be an assistant general manager. And then J.J. Polk – or no, that was J.J. Polk. And then mm-hmm. Pat Conley with the Nuggets, uh, he was kind of a, one of their main scouts there. And these are two guys that are kind of come in and have big influence, and these are two smart guys. And it kind of shows you right away, okay, so this organization is ready for change, is ready to move on, and they're doing smart things. I can't imagine <laughs> that they keep boiling around because that would be complete 180 from everything they were just doing. I mean, it's like, oh, everything's smart. And then if you decide to keep Jim Boylan as your head yeah. coach, like – What's what's the point? What's the point of any of this? Yeah, what's the upside of it, right? Like there, there's no upside. There is none. Like bring in your own guy, and even if your own guy fails, people are gonna like you because you brought in a new guy. Um, as for the roster, you know Zach Levine has has improved a lot, and and I don't want to come off as a Zach Levine hater, but that can't be your guy, right? Like I, I just yeah. I don't think I don't think he makes people better. Like he can be a great scorer on a good team that like maybe comes off the bench or is the third guy scorer. Um, but I, I just don't think that's a guy you build around. So I'm interested to see what happens with him, whether they decide for two years just to, hey, write out this good contract and he can be the best player on our team for a while. Maybe he can help us you know, just make the playoffs and that helps our value to free agents or if they look to trade him or whatever it could be. But I still feel like I haven't given up on Laurie Markkinen, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, because I still feel like there's upside there. And I feel like the coaching situation, the front office situation – has really impacted him. So I, I'm I'm really 
that's like the biggest part of the season that concerns me is the lack of development, as you said, of of everybody, one due to injuries, but two, I think because of coaching. Um, but marketing is, is the one I still feel like I want to see more from him. And I think Karnaschovas wants to see more because, listen, it's Wendell Carter, Laurie, and Kobe White, right? Those are the pieces you're going to at least mm-hmm. use in the future. Yeah, I, I think that uh, – I think touching on first Levine – uh, I would agree with you. I don't think, you know, he's not your franchise player. Um, they're asking too much of him right now. They're making him think that he is a franchise player, and that was uh, a fault of, of this uh, past regime. Mm-hmm. They kept saying, you know, Zach Levine can be a number one guy, and, and he can't be. And I don't blame him for acting like he's one. You know, I don't – because that's what he's been asked to do. And so uh, people kind of get mad at him. I think he – he I've really grown to respect him this, this year. Uh, I had some problems with him the past couple of years. Um, because I, I kind of just assumed he was kind of this cocky guy who thought he was, you know, all that. But I, I kind of come to realize more that this is the expectation that is put on him. And I also think we're, we are seeing him kind of improve each season. So I respect him as a player. I would love for him to be around on the Bulls. But I, I think deep down he even knows he can't be – he can't lead this team. So, um so yeah, that's the first problem that that needs to be uh, addressed. He's not your superstar. Uh, maybe you have to ride him out for another year as your go-to guy, but that's not your future. Is not is not with him. Um, with Larry Markkinen, I basically have just written over and over recently that we just need to lower our expectations at this point. Yeah. Um, I I had high expectations. Uh, I was hoping he was going to be this kind of unique. Uh, talent that the league hadn't really seen he looked he looked perfect for for what today's nba wanted he he works best on the move which is something why boylan needs to be fired he's barely he turned him into a spot up three-point shooter he works best on the move um you know he went from almost like averaging a double double last season to barely helping in the rebound category this year uh and he just looks completely defeated so i think there's there's plenty of talent there there's there's plenty of uh, of what you want to see and that we have seen in the past with, with Markinen, but, uh, but we just have to kind of let it play out as it will play out now, because, uh, you know, maybe a new coach can, can really whip him into shape, maybe some player development, but I honestly think it's going to be more about him than anybody else. I do think that, uh, he feels defeated within this organization. Yeah. I do think he kind of is overly critical on himself. That's something you always hear about him is that, uh, he's just not an alpha. You know, he just doesn't have that kind of that dog to him that you want to see. And I think that uh, he's got to get over that somehow, or he has to somehow come to terms with that and find his niche. So um, I have I have hopes that he can turn into a solid player. Still, he's only 22 years old. I think people need to remember right. that. We can't write him off. But I'm just going to kind of let that play out as it is, because I would get mad about it before, and it's not worth it. It's not <laughs> worth our time anymore to just get, <laughs> to yeah. get frustrated. Um uh, but Wendell Carter Jr. has grown on me more and more. I think that he is such a, a great center for, for today's uh, NBA. I know that he wants to play some more power forward. He wants to move around more. But I think that he could he, – you know, he's he's so lengthy that he can definitely keep up with some of these big guys. Some of his best games have been against, like, the Andre Drummond types. But mm-hmm. he can just he – can, he can go hand-in-hand hand with them. I mean, so I think he needs to – they need to keep him at that center position and see what they can do because uh, – and they also need to run an offense through him more. The, the, the front court, they've been trying to run it through that back court, and that's kind of been one of the problems is they need to combine this front court and with their offense. Um, but 
Yeah, I think you have great pieces there. And Kobe White, I mean, I've talked about Kobe White on on your show before. Um, I love Kobe White with everything in me. I think that he's going to be great. Uh, I think that him and I'm actually really excited to see how him and Levine can work because I do think it can happen. Um, you know, it, it talk about how, and I just talked about how I want the front court to be a bigger part of the offense, but I do think that it's possible uh, Levine and, and White duo could really work out. Um, you know, I, I think it could be a, who knows, maybe it could be a poor man's uh, Lillard and McCollum. Uh, again, I'm not comparing it at all, but a very a poor man's version is fine with me. And, uh, and White, his favorite player is Lillard, so who knows? He's trying to model the game out after that guy. I don't mind that. I think White's got the personality and the scoring chops and the talent, and his defense has been better than expected. And so I think he's just trending in the right direction. So what do you think is the way Karnasovic, like approaches this roster? I, I would imagine there's not much he can do this offseason besides the draft pick, whatever that draft pick ends up, and we'll see what he can mm-hmm. do with what is seemingly not a great draft. Uh, but to get another player and, and maybe build it like a Denver and, and get the most out of these guys with a coach. But uh, the coach search will be interesting to see who, who he wants and, and what he adds. But I would imagine this is going to be – a process, a multi-year process here, lies. Yeah, I, it's definitely going to be it, 100%. It's going to be a multi-year thing. But, um, and he said it himself, he doesn't like to use the word rebuild. And I think that's smart of him. I, I don't think we're necessarily going to see this, you know, another full-blown rebuild. I think there's, he has every intention to compete the best that they can over these next couple of, of seasons. And, you know, whether that means they're, you know, fighting for an eight seed or a, a seven seed over these next couple of years is more is is more than fine with me because we're going to probably see a lot of changes come with that. And yeah, that includes a new head coach, whatever that search process looks like. I kind of trust him to to find the right guy. I also think um, whoever the new GM hired is going to is going to play obviously a big role in all of this, but in that new um, in that new hire and also in these roster evaluations because uh, you know the, he 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 definitely knows talent but uh i don't think he's comfortable really weighing anything without someone there that can bounce other ideas off him Mm -hmm. and so whatever this gm brings in i think he's going to play a pivotal role in what we see this uh happen to this roster i think that next year we'll see a pretty similar team because uh like you said there's not a lot of flexibility one this draft is kind of stinky and this uh and this cap situation and this free agency in general is even stinkier this is not a uh uh, a very good free agency at all. And they also don't have a lot of flexibility. I mean, Otto Porter is going to definitely pick up his $28.5 million option, and that is going to remove <laughs> barely any flexibility at all. So I'm going to be most interested to see if they, if they decide to do anything on the trade market because uh, you technically could move uh, Porter next yeah. season. He's, he's going to be an expiring deal. Um, I think there would be uh, cont- contenders that would certainly be interested in him if he's healthy. Um, the, the salary match would be a little bit difficult, but he's definitely someone you can kind of dangle out there. And, uh, and who knows, you know, probably one of these young core guys that we, that we know today is going to be out of here soon. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, if you want a superstar soon and that 2021 free agency is where you're going to hope you can try to attack one, try to get one, um, or you trade for one, obviously, but I don't know who it's going to be. I just feel like we can't expect a Levine, Markin and Carter Jr., um, and white to all be here. It just doesn't seem uh, doesn't seem realistic for the long run. So uh, one of those guys is, is going to have to be out the door soon. Who that's going to be up to to them to decide which one who has the best potential. 
And you know, uh, and but you it'll, know, be, it'll bes- be interesting. Besides, like, like Jimmy Butler, I'd grown attached to, right? I, uh-huh. I, I don't know yeah. if I'm attached to any of those guys, so I don't think it'd bother me all that much. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I mean, that's also the problem. It's like they, they try to rebuild around a core of guys that aren't all that exciting. I mean, right. the person who's easily been – uh, has gotten the fan base the most excited is Kobe White. And I think that makes sense. I mean, that uh, some people were excited for Markin at first, which was understandable. I mean, you know what? He's still the, the – isn't he the youngest player ever to reach 103 pointers or whatever? So, like, he had his moments of being excited uh, – or of getting people excited. And uh, – but no one's ever been super excited about Levine. I mean, people have always had problems with him. Wendell Carter Jr., uh, while I like a lot, and I think, like – basketball guys yes. like Carter Jr. Yes. quite a bit, but <laughs> he's just not a super exciting guy to like rally up the fan base. No one's like and, an Al Horford fan, right? Like no one's like, oh man, that's yeah, my favorite oh, that's player. A great, yeah, that's a great, great point. Cause that's the, that's the comp that Carter Jr. gets all the time, Al Horford. But like, who's out there like super excited about Al Horford? Not nobody. I mean, you know, it's not like when the Sixers signed Al, Hor- Al Horford that they were freaking out and that Al, Al Horford was changing, changing everything. Solid player, but he just doesn't get people pumped up. Right. So, um, so that's kind of how you have to look at uh, Carter Jr. But then Kobe White has been a different story. Uh, I think he's actually excited people, um, especially, you know, he had, a, he had a good start to the year, uh, which a lot of people forget. He actually had a couple, 20, a couple of his 20-point games. He was scoring fine. His middle of the season was a huge drop-off, mm-hmm. was one of the worst shooters in, in the league. <laughs> but then he, uh, those last nine games before the season, really got people, people talking. I mean, it, it got some people tuning into the games and people around the entire league were, were taking notice of, of what he was doing. And it's cause he is an exciting player. It's funny cause he's just this monotone dude off the court and he's super chill, but I think people kind of rally behind that, yeah. but he's super chill. But then on the court, I mean, he does get pumped up. You see him, he gets pumped up. He's also, you know, he just kind of dunks randomly when you don't expect him to, like he can, he can kind of get up. He does these crazy moves. He celebrates. And that's kind of a guy that that this rebuild that they were trying to do has missed. Yeah. Anyone to kind of get this fan base excited. And and that guy doesn't have to be the star player. Like sometimes the guy that gets people super excited just in the United Center or when you're watching a game doesn't have to be the, the number one guy all the time. And so I, I think they can they do have something here with, with White for sure. Yeah. Uh, Joe Kim Noah was that for them. I mean, if you just talk about scores, like he, he reminds me of Lou Williams or – or Jamal Crawford, and that that can be a, a really good piece. Um, I, I wanted to ask you. I was, I was nine, ten, and eleven years old during the Bulls' mm-hmm. second three peat, Elias. So that was <laughs> right in my wheelhouse, right? And I, yeah, and my perfect. whole life revolved around those guys. Um, Jordan, I had like three hundred cards. I had Steve Kerr. I was Steve Kerr for Halloween one year. It was it was ridiculous. That was, that, that was like what I surrounded myself with. Um, so doing the quick math, I imagine you were maybe one at the last one in ninety seven, ninety eight. Were you even born yet? Yeah, yeah, I was born, but <laughs> I was born. I just, uh, you know, I was uh, my brain was mush. I, <laughs> so there was no no understanding what was going on at all. So I mean, you've been involved with the Bulls, and you've been a Bulls fan. Um, what yeah. is this like watching? We're just the two episodes in here to the last dance mm-hmm. you've heard all about this i'm sure you've read all about it watched it but to have it so well put together like this even the first two episodes what was that for you watching that oh incredible i mean it's it's something that you know anyone that's in my situation that hasn't been able to or, or wasn't able to live this uh experience 
has always wanted to live it to the best of their ability to somehow live it <laughs> in mm-hmm. some way. And, you know, that's it's for a lot of people like me who've been Bulls fans for so long or for people who've just loved uh, sports in general for so long. You try to do that by watching these highlights. You try to do that by, you know, reading up on, on the team and reading up about Michael Jordan. But there's no there's been no outlet for for any of us to truly, you know, try to experience what that felt like. And I think that's exactly what we got on, on Sunday night for the first time. I mean, again, only two episodes in, but I sat there feeling, and I'm sure those feelings of nostalgia for the people that yeah. have been there. And then, and, and for people uh, like me, you sit there and you watch it and you go like, okay, I'm finally getting that feeling that they had, you know, hopefully I'm finally experiencing what it was actually like. And, you know, it might be to a way lesser degree, but that's kind of been my biggest takeaway from it is like, I was, I mean, I sat there super excited watching the entire thing and everybody, a part of that team, you know, you just sit there and looks like a superhero to you. And, and, and there's also 20 years later, this allure, this kind of mythology behind the team. So it adds this, this other element of excitement for people that weren't able to experience to be like, okay, it's now like I'm seeing this, this urban legend told, and it hasn't been that long. It's not like right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, aging anyone out there because it really hasn't been that long but you're just saying that for anyone who's grown up in sports without having seen that you hear about it all the time and now you're finally seeing what it looked like and that just is is incredibly exciting i I think some interesting things about this documentary i use this a lot but like the rick flair documentary i feel like it Uh did more for his reputation than anything he did as a wrestler <laughs> like because he was a great wrestler and he was exciting and people liked him but like now he's like even this bigger you know myth or, or this bigger personality than ever and uh, we've heard the stories of why this is coming out now and uh, it was after Cleveland won the championship with LeBron and I don't think that's any mm-hmm. kind of uh, mistake that, that Jordan would put this out you grew up in the Kobe LeBron era um yeah and and listen, I think LeBron is in the conversation for greatest player ever. I'd still go with Michael, but if I'm uh-huh. building a team, yeah, I, LeBron might be the better player to build a team around, but Michael is the player you want the ball in your hands, and he's the guy I'm taking to win a game just because he was mm-hmm. the greatest winner of all time when it comes to, to, to the NBA and the modern NBA. But for you, I mean, you didn't get to watch Michael in his prime. Um, yeah. How, what's this shape like how you view him? Because this will have a huge impact on how he's viewed by your generation, I think. I, I think what, what I was kind of describing before it, it uh, goes hand in hand with with this is that you I view him as this like and he's it's funny because it's like you can still see him like you said he'll do an interview it's like he was you know he he was out in Good Morning America the other day it's like you can still see his face and he's still out there but you view him as this like this urban legend of sorts like that's how you view this guy because uh, he's someone it doesn't matter where you go. And it's also funny because, like, when I was – this is just a side tangent real quick, um, but I think it relates to this. It's just that you go to – I went to Brazil, like, several years ago, and I'm in Brazil. And, uh, and you know, I'm talking to a random a random uh, person there. Uh, they can't speak a lot of English. Um, I don't know a lot of Portuguese. And we're just trying to have a brief conversation. But, you know, they, they figure out that I'm from America, obviously. And the first thing they say to me is, oh, Michael Jordan. And I go <laughs> – and I go like, yeah, Michael Jordan, because I think I also said I was from Chicago. They're like Michael Jordan, and that's the first thing that they said. And I, that probably happened at least four or five times while I was there. And any time that you mention Chicago, and I think before I would just mention America, and people would just bring up Michael Jordan. And you know, it's just that it's the name, it's like the impact of it, 
And so the way I've always viewed him has just kind of been like, he is the epitome of, of basketball. Like he is the NBA. So it's like, yes, you have LeBron. Like, yes, you have Kobe. And you ha- and I grew up with those two guys, and those were like kind of the, the current guys you watch, and they represented the league. But at the end of the day, if, you like, if I ever would step back and be like, okay, who do, when I think NBA, who's the first player that I think of, it was still going to be Michael Jordan for me. Like that's still the guy that, that everybody knew. Uh, so that's just, I don't know, that's just kind of the way that I've always yeah. viewed it. You know, that's yeah. like the, the, he's, he's the one guy. And, uh, and I think we're like, and maybe it's because I grew up in the Chicagoland area. That's why right. I think that way, because other people uh, elsewhere are going to have that LeBron, oh, those hardcore people who think LeBron's the goat and all that stuff. Um, growing up in Chicago definitely had that impact on me, but he's, he's basketball to me. And I think that, uh, for a lot of people, that is just what it is. Cause that's, who, that's who you grow up hearing about no matter what. Should I have mentioned Steph in that conversation? Because, man, I mean, he's changed the league. Oh, yeah, you are probably. I think that, I mean, I still, Kobe and uh, LeBron hold, like, I would say in terms of, like, superstar and fandom, another level. Just for me, though, because I think, like, it's funny. If you're going to talk to someone who's 12 in in 10 years, you talk to someone who was 12 in 2020 or, you know, was 12 three years ago, whatever it is, they're going to have Steph in that conversation for sure. Um, for me, I've loved watching Steph. Like he's, he's been incredible. And he's honestly, I mean, if I had to say my favorite player in the league right now, he's going to be right up there. Like he's just been so fun to watch. But, um, I think LeBron and Kobe in terms of like that stardom level. And and when I was growing up, that's just been the, the, those two have been on a different level. So, I mean, it goes like the way I look at tears, it's just like Jordan. Then it's like those two. And then it's just for current guys, the Jordan, those two, and then like Steph's up there, but, but yeah. he just, he's changed the league for sure. But I don't think he had the, he has the impact of those two guys. Right. Um, so Elias, you watch a lot of NBA. How do, True. how do, <laughs> how do Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn fit into the NBA if at all? <sighs> okay. It's a, this is a good question. This is an interesting question. I've thought about this recently. Um, I think, that Io DeSumo could fit right now. I want to say I would prefer that he – I would love if he stayed another year. And there, and I totally understand why he, he wants to, to go into the draft, and it doesn't look like he will. But I would love if he stayed another year because I do think um, next year's draft is better, yes. But I do think he could build his stock for sure because if he stayed, he could be easily one of like the top five players in the country next year. And, uh, and I think he'd be a higher lottery pick. I think he could be a lottery pick, all that stuff. Um, but in terms of his fit in the NBA, I, I think he's, I think he's, he could make a, a name for himself. It's interesting because I've had this conversation with Trotter in the past too. And like, mm-hmm. like last year we talk about it a lot. And, um, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel like him becoming, you know, this, this starter type or any of that. I feel like he's, he could end up being a reliable, like Dennis Schroeder type, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So when I look at uh, Dennis Schroeder play, like it's it's similar that, in the way that I look at Io, where I'm like, okay, I think maybe the peak of Io's powers is becoming that kind of player, the one that definitely is going to have himself a could have himself a long career, is probably going to be like a six man type who can come off and just kind of lead your second unit, but I just don't know if he's coming into the league experienced enough, and because again he hasn't played. I mean, the team was better this year, but an NCAA tournament run, I mean, that kind of stuff just that can really mold you right. and also put you on the map. But I think he's entering the league at 
uh, with so, so many of these raw tools that people like and can see as being super useful, but I just don't see him coming in with that explosiveness that, uh, that would qualify a future starting caliber player. So that, that's just how I see it, and I'm interested. Before I go to Coburn, though, I'm interested. What do you think about it? Like, what, what are yeah, your thoughts about it? Yeah, I, I think Io's a role player, and I think he could be a really good one. Yeah. I, think, I think it's going to take him some time to get there. I mean, he's got he's to shoot better, right? I mean, he's got to shoot better from the wing. He's actually pretty good from the top of the key, uh, but he's got to shoot better from the wing, and he's got to be able to make some threes. But, listen, I think he's going to get better. That, that's why I don't see why – I think he's going to go, Elias, because somebody's going to invest a second-round pick in him because he's going to get better. Oh, I think he's going to go for sure. But yeah. I just say I would prefer he stay because I think he could help himself right. like build a better case. Well, and it'd be great for Illinois. But like he's going to be – he's going to get better. And I, I just don't know how many guys you're taking in the second round that you go, that guy acts like a pro, works like a pro, and has pro skills in that he is long – he is fast. He's great in, in the open court. He can be a great defender. Um, so I think that's going to get him a role, whether he starts in the G League early or not. But I just know his jump shot's going to get better because his leap from high school senior to freshman was huge. His leap from freshman to sophomore year was huge. And this guy just eats breeze basketball. and He's got a good support system. So I, sure. I, I, I think he'll get into the league. And, yeah, you, you make some of those comps. Like an older school comp would be like Leandro Barbosa. Or, or somebody like that okay, that's like good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a backup guard on a really good team. Like, I'd love to see him in Atlanta. Like, backing up Trey Young or, you know, being alongside Trey, I, I, I think he could be great. Uh, for a team what about like, like a like a yeah like maybe I could see him becoming like a uh, like a Sean Livingston type. Yes, in terms great of comp. like how yeah with how well he's able to uh, find a place for himself. Like he'll build himself a long career, but uh, but I also think he. Uh, he definitely, I don't want to say he, part of the thing I think about is like, I don't want to say he, he lacks explosiveness, but I just like, when I watch him, I don't see like the same fast pace right. game that I see. Cause he, he's good in transition and stuff, but it's just like, I don't see the same like fast pace game that I, when I watch right. in the NBA, I just like, I don't see yet how he fits into that. But that's why I think these role player types, I think Barbosa is a good time to come too. Maybe. And then like of Livingston, these guys that can just come in off the bench for you and you can trust them. They'll put mm-hmm. up a couple buckets for you. They have a good mid range game. <laughs> you know, they, they don't necessarily, uh, the, the three ball needs to improve for sure, but he'll come in and you can trust him. I think that's the big thing. He'll be a trustworthy player. He oozes, and, he oozes LA Clippers right now. Like the current Clippers franchise. Oh, like, he's that kind for of sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for, I wonder. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I wonder, yeah, no, he oozes Clippers for sure. I just wonder, like, how fast you're going to see him on an NBA court. Like, I wonder, because, like, do you think his ceiling is high? Or actually, don't even, don't even consider ceiling. Let's just look at, do you think that he in general is going to have, like, a better role and a better place than, like, Romeo Langford? I haven't seen enough of Langford, but I don't think it's ridiculous to compare the two because neither is a great shooter. I don't consider either a great athlete. I was surprised how high Romeo went last year. Um, oh, same, hundred percent. Yeah, because he said he does sit on the self expansion. He got like one start this year. Right. Because uh, until Kobe started that one game, uh, every lottery pick except Kobe White started, and he. I can. I was shocked to see that he had one pick or one start. But, um, but yeah, like Langford sits on the on the self expansion. He had some minutes, but I'm like, is 
is he going to have a like a future career? Like I just it's funny because I do think about those two together just because of Big Ten ball. I'm like, right. I wonder which player is going to end up having a better career. It's not it's not ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, I think I think going to the G League for him wouldn't be a terrible thing um, in, in developing for a year because if he's on a good team, I don't know if he's going to contribute right away. Um, but if he goes to you know a team that's not fighting for the playoffs, and yeah, I think he'll get some time, but he'll probably be sparingly. Um, he's going to have to just work, uh, what a lot of those guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for Kofi, it's hard yeah. to find a comp. I mean, you're either going like high Andre Drummond or Boban or, you know what I mean? Or just not in the yeah, league. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really tough to find, uh, find a comp for him because he's, he's just this, this monster that, is, that, and he's also so raw and that's why it's probably hard to find a comp for him right now. Because it's like, yes, he was he was dominant uh, last year, and and I completely understood why he's he's testing these waters. It's just he's another guy that you 100% look at and you go, yeah, I don't I don't know where you fit yet, and maybe another year I figure it out better. But it's just so hard to to think about uh, how fast he can he can fit into an, an NBA team. Uh, you know, he dominated in the Big Ten because uh, he could he could post up and and just bully a lot of those other centers down low but like he's not gonna be able to do that in the nba like he's just unless i mean he has the the, the size uh to eventually do it but he's gonna have to keep adding muscle um you know he's gonna have to uh work more on his footwork and all that stuff and it's just hard for me right now to to see the to see him fitting into anything and to see the benefit uh of him going like it don't you like i just wish he would stay another year like i just, oh, I just yeah. think he's another guy that you're gonna understand him so much better if he stays one more year and scouts will understand how he fits into things. Uh, and he'll just also learn so much more. Cause he also hasn't, he hasn't been playing for a long time, right? Like didn't right. he start as a teenager? Yeah. So like, yeah, for IO, I don't know how much he'll improve his draft stock by coming back. Like Kofi, I don't know if he'll ever work himself to first round pick or, you know, some of these announcers are saying lottery pick just cause that's what he looked like in 1996. Oh, he's or not. <laughs> no, he's not. I just don't think he fits there, but I mean, I think if if he gets a jump shot and he improves and his touch around the basket and continues to improve his uh, you know ver- lateral quickness and all that, yeah, I think he could be as the best player on, on Illinois next year, which could be a top five team if he returns in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think he'd be mm-hmm. no question a draft pick. I don't. He's a lottery ticket maybe for somebody this year at the end of the second round, but I, I don't think any kind of guaranteed money would be coming his way. He's not. Yeah, and he's also um, he he's also somebody that just isn't like, I don't think he understands yet what, what it would take to, to kind of be successful in the NBA. Like, I just think that he's somebody who needs that extra year to really like marinate and, uh, and, and, you know, improve his, his basketball IQ and learn the game. And, uh, but yeah, you, you mentioned it. Like, I think he has a great jump shot or not a jump. He has a great free throw. Yeah. Let me rephrase that. He has a good free throw shot. Like every time I watched him, I was surprised. And usually that means if you can shoot a free throw, like you can develop a jump shot. Um, I just don't know, like, if he's going to be able to, if it's better for him to learn that, you know, try to learn that at Illinois than to go uh, into the NBA. And like you said, I, he's not a lottery pick. Like, I just don't see it. And I think it also sucks because not having, like, a combine this year, mm-hmm. not having any of that stuff is something that we need to keep in mind when we talk about, like, any of any of uh, any players getting into the NBA because that stuff can be super valuable in general for for teams kind of figuring out uh, who guys really are and, and what their stock really is worth. And so I think that uh, if he stays another year, he'd 100% benefit from a combine. 
because yes, he'll also have the national stage and hopefully Illinois will be good. But he's he's just kind of this athletic freak that 100% would benefit from having these scouts come a little bit up closer and, mm-hmm. and put him in a combine and see what he can do. Elias, this was fun, man. Talking ball. Um, appreciate your time. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good, though, that Illinois has got guys that uh, are in the NBA draft conversation, though, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way better. When I talk to people now and I say that I went to Illinois, it's not – it's not a it's not a laughable thing. It's not like a nudge. Like <laughs> uh, now, you actually have some some names to throw out there and, and guys people know. So yeah. uh, hey, it's exciting for me. Maybe the, maybe uh, who knows? Maybe a second round of the Bulls will pick up. I was I was about to say everything turning around for you. Maybe the Bulls end up uh, more than mediocre. Maybe Karnasovas can bring that to us. Uh, Elias, really appreciate the time, man. Uh, best of luck as you continue with this and continue the great work, my friend. I appreciate it, man. Anytime you want to talk, I'm here. I'm always here to talk basketball. That's right. Elias, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. All right, great stuff with Elias Schuster. I hope you enjoyed that. Some great basketball chat. I always think it's good perspective to hear from a, a different generation. And, yes, I'm feeling old when I say that. But uh, Elias on, on the Bulls and, and on Michael Jordan and the Last Dance documentary. Of course, we had this conversation before Episodes 3 and 4 came out. Um, but also just what the Bulls' future looks like, the nitty-gritty of the, the current roster. But also, you know, I, I find it interesting, his path in, in journalism and, and what it's going to be like for this generation compared to what I had to um both of us getting into this business an interesting time i got into the business right after the uh the economy collapsed or great recession and now uh, a lot of people getting into this industry you know isaac we've talked to before and you know gavin is trying to get into this right now so very interesting time for all of those and uh, i can kind of parallel it to when i got in here but uh, he's working hard and uh, hope it uh, all works out well for him i know he brings a lot to the table and he's doing really well at bleacher nation hope you enjoyed that conversation a lot of bulls a lot of of, uh, obviously Last Dance and Michael Jordan. I had fun talking with Elias. I know it went a little longer, but I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Thanks for listening to the Alana Inquirer podcast. If you don't, subscribe to us, rate us, review us. We appreciate when you do that. We'll talk to you next time on the Alana Inquirer podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.